Well, good morning. I'm John, for those that don't know who I am. So today is the last testimony and sermon to our summer sermon series going through the different names of God. I know it's sad. It's coming to an end. But throughout the summer, we've gone through now six different names. Jehovah Shalom, which is the Lord's peace be with you. Jehovah Jireh, God's provider. Jehovah Nisi, God's banner over us. Jehovah Rapha, God's healing over us. Jehovah Shammah, which is God is present. Jehovah Ra, which is God is our shepherd. And today we finish off with Jehovah Sidkenu, which is God is our righteousness. Each one of the testimonies, as you have heard, touches so many different aspects of the nature of God. Really, any of them could have given any of the testimonies about all of those names. But the hopes for us in going through each of these names is for us as a church to become more personal which, with each aspect and each name and each character of God so that we could lead you to a more intimate relationship with God. So as we wrap up our series and finish off with Jehovah's Sidkenu, which means the Lord is my righteousness. This is the foundation and the heart of of what and who we are and what we believe as God's people. In Psalms 146, it says this, the Lord opens the eye of the blind, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down and the Lord loves the righteous. Well, what if you're not righteous? Does anybody here claim that they're righteous? That we're righteous in our own good and we're righteous in our own accord? So in some ways, that sounds like bad news. Well, let's look at what righteousness is first. What is the standard of righteousness that we measure? Righteousness is about being fair, being just, being right, being good, our best behavior if we wanted to put it in school terms. But we all fail in it. We all fail in righteousness. We all come into a place where we fall into what we call a sin. So what is the standard? What do we measure ourselves up to when we look at righteousness? Well, the standard is God himself. Righteousness is intrinsic to God's nature. It isn't a a standard that God obeys. He is the standard. It means that God's law, God's deed, and everything that God has ever done is right. When we say that God is righteous, we mean that there is no wrong, there's no dishonesty, no unfairness in him, that he is perfectly righteous and he's a righteous one, and that his righteousness is everlasting. In Psalms 119, it says, your righteousness is righteous forever. The good news is, that God has an answer for our unrighteousness. And that is in this name, Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the good news. This is the gospel. So today we have Brian Lutz that's going to give his testimony. So as I invite Brian Lutz to come on up, let's pray. Father God, we just pray and lift up our worship unto you. 
We pray that you be with us, that your spirit comes and falls in this place. And Lord, as Brian gives his testimony, Lord, that you speak through him and, and, and use his testimony as a witness of what your righteousness means. So Lord, we thank you and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I'm just going to, I've written it out, so I'm going to read it to you guys. So I grew up in a home where I was brought to church and taught about God, but uh, I didn't believe. Faith didn't mean much to me, and it was something that uh, my parents believed. So for example, I remember when my parents asked me to be baptized. I didn't want to be baptized because I didn't have a story like the people I saw sharing theirs. Uh, God had intervened in their lives and uh, not mine. So uh, for the most part, Christianity seemed to be seemed to make the best sense, and it was probably the place where people could learn to be moral. Uh, my examples, however, were not perfect, and home life uh, was quite chaotic for me. Uh, I remember my dad locking me out of the house uh, when I was too shy to go to youth group. On several occasions, I sat outside the house on the bench for almost an hour waiting to be let back until I decided it was easier to just let him drive me to the church. Other times, I remember, I remember the swearing and racist remarks at other drivers as we drove home. Uh, at times, my dad would take me on car rides for errands and trips to the local hardware store. I would listen to his work stories and all the problems that came with them. Uh, in my teenage years, he came home to my he came to my room several times to ask for forgiveness for uh, swallowing too many pills in the bathtub or driving into the forest with duct tape and a garden hose. I couldn't figure out why what I saw at church and experienced at home was not the same. What was, the, what was the right way to see Christianity? I didn't really care at the time. I just had to be a good listener to my father and do what mom said. In my mother's eyes, I was the surrogate man and the idealized child. She made herself busy with tasks to do, doing her best to look good. I wanted to say, uh, I do want to say that uh, despite these hardships, uh, my dad always put food on the table and my parents enrolled me in uh, many sports like football and swimming lessons and I'm thankful for those gifts. And at one time, my dad bought speakers uh, for an old 1979 yellow Toyota Corolla uh, and installed them so I could listen to music as I learned to drive. Um, in my late teens, I responded to my situation at home uh, with contempt and, and self-righteousness. Uh, this, this can happen because of uh, consistent trauma or uh, specific events, uh, which I've already mentioned. I developed this uh, tendency to see people with a critical eye. When I was given the opportunity, I stopped going to church, uh, thinking that God wasn't, uh, wasn't necessary to be good, and I imagined my own way without God. One of these ways was to choose a career path, and I liked comic books, uh, like the criminal underworld uh, and, and superheroes. So when I came across a comic book series about a private investigator in the superhero world named Jessica Jones. I imagined an adventurous, uh, safe life behind the camera. So for the next five years, I chose to work as a private investigator. No day was exactly the same, and I, always, I was always moving and thinking about my surveillance subject. However, I was also proud to show that the camera did not lie. I could produce the truth on video, and I was looking at the world through my own objective lens, uh, but I, I felt miserable. I thought that a family might make me happy, uh, but I knew that I couldn't provide for one So, uh, with the time and, and income that I had, so without more education. 
so I prayed to God and said, if you are really there, uh, you know, show me <laughs> providing a way for me to go back to school. And uh, soon after, the, uh, the life I thought I had started uh, was falling apart. Uh, my current girlfriend and I broke up, and I found another girlfriend, but that ended within a month. I started reading an old Bible to figure out what was going on or wrong in my life. I started attending a mega church I knew of in Burnaby, um, and I sat up, I sat up on the balcony where it was safe, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, no one could see me. <laughs> I guess I was used to being somewhere, and uh, well, the pastor preached on the self righteousness of Paul, so I could understand what he meant. So I wandered down the stairs after the service and asked for asked a person to pray for me, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't about my my. It, not yet repenting of my own sin, just about my situation. So in a few weeks, it was my birthday, and because I was afraid of heights, uh, I decided that skydiving would be the release I needed. <laughs> oh, okay, I needed to be free and to be self-sufficient. Uh, in truth, I broke my ankle skydiving that day. <laughs> so we were coming down too fast, and that was fun. Um, <laughs> After attempting a tandem skydive, we spiraled downwards, uh, skidding to the ground. So, denying that it was broken, I limped home and went to, to the hospital a few days later with a very dark, reddish-purple-looking ankle where I received a cast. <laughs> I began reading more and more in my teen Bible, and this time I saw somehow, I somehow understood it. I read through the Gospels, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, all until this one section of scripture stood out to me. It was 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. It's for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God offered to take away my shame and make things right in the world. I felt so, I felt so good to know that God was in the business of making things right in the world again, and uh, even in ways I couldn't understand. So I saw myself as weak, of low status, and a fool, and that God would still love me, redeem me, and make me like Jesus. So I wrote down a prayer and dedicated my life to Jesus. Since then, God has shown me my own attempts to be at being good, or to do the right thing, don't work out. Then he shows me his goodness and mercy. A few years after following Jesus, I was halfway through a two-year discipleship program, when, a, a facilitator, when the facilitator asked if I wanted to also lead a group. I started leading groups and after a year and a bit came on staff and was fundraising. I wanted to do more than the program and I wanted to build and create a more authentic Christian community. So I started witnessing by knocking on doors in my community and handing out gospel tracts on the street. And at the same time, at the same, and at the same mega church I became a Christian at, the ministry grew from two to seven groups. I saw many of the students go on to lead and support other ministries. I also initiated a summer book club for young adults, which grew from three to 25 people over three summers. I also started 
learning Mandarin to go overseas as a missionary because I like Chinese culture. Um, I felt proud of all my religious accomplishments. Um, it was better than everyone else who had head knowledge. <laughs> but it became clear to me that this wasn't where God wanted me to be. Uh, the lead pastor at this mega church uh, left because of growing conflict among the elders, and the conflict made it increasingly stressful and difficult for me to support the elders uh, from different ministries. On top of that, the mission organization I was a part of suggested that I go to a different church. So uh, I didn't like the stress, and I wasn't going to move from my local church just to continue ministry. I stayed at the church for several years after leaving the ministry, and I remained in contact with the executive director of the organization and continued to support him in his work. So during my time in missions, I got married and then finished my communications degree. After that, God has used the workplace to continue to remove guilt, contempt, and self-righteousness from my life. Because of my background in justice occupations, I found a job serving Canadian veterans at the Royal Canadian Legion, BC Yukon Command. Each RCL branch, Royal Canadian Legion, plays a major role in organizing Remembrance Day ceremonies across Canada. They also organize the annual Poppy fundraising campaign. I worked there in public relations and corporate communications for over three years, and God has taught me the value of every life, how to grieve, and the importance of honor. There are many stories that I could share, yeah, but I will share just two. So occasionally I got to meet some of the veterans who fought at Juno Beach on D-Day and in the Battle of Normandy. One of them was George Chow, who landed on Juno Beach the day after uh, to fight in the Battle of Normandy. He was a gunner, and that means that he helped load and shoot artillery. It was a simple job, and then after that, he drove trucks. <laughs> so he was 97 years old, and at the time, uh, when I, uh, the time when I met him, he sat in the back of house at BC Place Stadium. He was getting ready for the halftime Salute to Veterans Parade. He was smiling because he <laughs> just got to take pictures surrounded by 25 or so feline cheerleaders. <laughs> <laughs> just a few minutes earlier. <laughs> I was honored to wheel him into the stadium while his caretaker spent time parking. <clears throat> so from 2019 to 2022, I received about 70 calls from the news and media across BC and Canada asking questions about important issues like the National Youth and Remembrance poster and literary contest to help youth remember. Two. The criminal cases of stolen valor. Three, why the white, purple, and rainbow poppy are not recognized by the RCL. Four, the history of indigenous veterans in Canada. They were not eligible to receive veterans benefits until 2003. The RCL's response to COVID-19 mandates. That was five, six. Remembrance ceremony protocols to recognize indigenous people during the Every Child Matters movement. There were none. Seven, RCL's response to the political changes in Afghanistan. Did 158 soldiers die for nothing? It only highlights the futility of state. So how was I supposed to answer calls from the various media? I mean, Thankfully, <laughs> it just depend on uh, you have other people making those decisions. 
and it didn't depend on my answer. On my side, I made sure to honor everyone at the right time. So now, my wife and I first came to Five Stones online in August last year, and we also attended a few of the encounter classes in September. One of the encounter classes series I attended was entitled Wholeness, Pursue Wholeness by Hearing the Father's Heart and Getting Restored. The last half of the session is focused on a particular kind of prayer. One person sits in the center while others pray for you. One of the pastors gave me a prophetic word saying something like, you have been misunderstood your whole life and you will enter a community you feel a part of. There are also huge amounts of finances in your future. Something about an idea. So I started acting on the prophetic word and I believe that God is one who understands and knows me. He is arranging my life to rely on him and his sufficiency. He is teaching me to live by his faith and his righteousness. Then there was that, uh, there's big finances in your future part. So January 2022 comes along and I was laid off from my job because of membership in the Royal Canadian Legion it declined through COVID. There was no longer budget to staff four of the 12 members and four of the 12 staff members. So meanwhile, uh, I'd already been praying for a way to write sales and marketing copy, whether that was my own business or with an organization uh, that, that understood the value of the persuasive writing. I was already getting some work through a freelancing website and posting on LinkedIn. And when I was laid off, I considered it a gift from God. And in answer to my prayer, he had given me time I attended a marketing and copywriting mastermind in Tampa Bay, Florida. It seemed like a good opportunity, and if it all worked out, uh, I could find a contract position that paid well, or I could find two or three clients. And afterwards, I joined an accelerated program with zero clients. However, I had some self-employment, because I had some self-employment income from freelancing online, I needed to create a special report to receive any employment insurance from the government. For four months, I went without any payment or self-employment income. I could not make reports until another special officer contacted me, so my family and I just lived on savings. And uh, I worked on my skills in the accelerator program until I was able to obtain uh, work from clients in May. The work consisted writing e-commerce copy, emails for crypto offer and some other financial editorials on economics and precious metals. Thankfully at the time, at the, at the end of July, I obtained my first, this July here, I obtained my first long-term retainer client with revenue sharing opportunities in the financial niche. And this has been an answer to what I've been asking God about. It's been the results of my inquiry into the prophetic word. Since January, uh, morning prayer has also been helpful to me. And I've also been meditating on a few verses to live and provide for my family. So one of them was Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. Uh, Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might have gotten me this wealth. You, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. I cannot say that, uh, I, I don't know if I, I don't think, Anyways, I can say that God has brought me here as his child to create thankfulness, life, and joy through generosity in my own family, and then in the church as well. So with God, God's help, life can be different and better, and it's because he who supplies seed to the sower, and this is the other verse, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
and you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way through which which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So thanks, and God bless you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian, for, for sharing. A life transformed is the common theme throughout this summer series. Brian's testimony is another example of what God does in our lives, how he shows up in very tangible ways for us to follow him, and how God calls us into a place of trust and faith. For Brian, it was moving from self-righteousness where we measure ourselves against each other and against people in our lives. And the values of others where we hold righteousness as our own. But righteousness, which is a gift from God, given a standard set beyond human measure, the Lord's righteousness, we find this in the book of Jeremiah. So in Jeremiah, it talks about the southern kingdom of Judah. It was in decline and it's moving to exile when the prophet Jeremiah spoke these words in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 to 6. He says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness or Jehovah Sidkenu. In the dark times and despair for the people of Israel, there was hope and there was light. Jeremiah, in accordance with God's promise to David in which he said that he would establish his throne forever. That he promised David that your throne will reign forever. That out of your line there will be a king and his chief characteristic of this king would be the required righteousness so that the people of Israel will be seen as righteous. Now we know the story of David and we know that David was not only a murderer, but he was also an adulterer and he was a liar. He was a cheater. He was someone that has sinned a lot in his life. Yet God chose him and said, through you, righteousness will come. That through you, your kingdom will reign forever through a king that will sit on the throne above all thrones. We know that this king is now Jesus and that Jesus is the source of our righteousness. The Bible is very clear in stating that no man is righteous. Romans 3.10, none is righteous. No, not one. So no matter how righteous you think you are, the Bible tells you that you're not. So therefore, because we're not righteous, we need another source. Isaiah understood this. This is even before Jesus existed. 
Isaiah understood that only Jehovah or God can supply the required righteousness. In 61.10, Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Isaiah also prophesied that the people needed to be accounted for, for their righteousness, that righteousness doesn't come without a without a, a, a price to be paid. In Isaiah 53, he says this, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see that is God and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make, any, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear the, their iniquities. Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus. He is prophesying that there is a servant, that it is his servant, his only son, that is going to come to serve us. How? Out of the anguish of his soul, he sees that it shall be satisfied, that he will bear our iniquities, bear our sins, bear all of our wrongdoings, that all of the things that you have done, all the wrong things that you, you've done, all the negative thoughts, all the things that, 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 that stresses you out, all the burdens, all your weariness, all of those things that this person is going to bear your iniquities. Bear all of those things. This servant is Jesus. And Jesus took all our iniquities and he gifted us with his righteousness. In Jesus' death, he took on our sins, but in Jesus' life, that's what satisfies the demands of the law. That Jesus' life of righteousness is what gives us the gift of righteousness. We often think about Jesus' death on the cross as what gives us everything. But Jesus' death on the cross is what takes away our sin. It's what cleanses us from, from, from unrighteousness. But Jesus had to do something before all of that. What was that? is that he had to live a life of righteousness in order to be the sacrifice for us to gain his righteousness. So Jesus' life, his 33 years on earth, from the day that he was born and in Mary's arm to the day that he was on the cross, dying for our sins, washing us from and cleaning us from our iniquities, Jesus had to live a pure and perfect life. He had to live a life of righteousness because when he was on the cross, he said what? My work is finished. He said that it is finished, that Jesus, his entirety of his life, the righteousness that he lived, that is the only thing that gives us this gift of righteousness. That it is absolutely the most important thing that Jesus lived a perfect life. That if he sinned even one time, that this gift is not possible. That if he, he turned even one time that this gift is impossible. That if he stepped out of his path that God set before him. And guess what? Jesus had that choice. Don't forget that Jesus was fully man. Just like you and I. And in every single aspect, he had choice in all that he did. And Jesus decided and chose to live an obedient life of righteousness so that what? That we can have the gift of righteousness. Jesus' life is just as important as his death. That we live in the church is here because of what Jesus did in his life and what he lived. 
We cannot just focus on the death, but we need to focus on his life. In Jesus' life, righteousness was lived out so that in death, sin can be conquered. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, For our sake he made him to be sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness allows us to stand in who we are. There are two things that living and knowing this characteristic of Sidkenu is this. One, that if we know that Jehovah Sidkenu, that God is righteous, we don't have to fear in confession. That means that we could be honest with ourselves. That we don't need to, to, to come to a fear of owning up to who we are, what we've done in our sin. We don't have to fear being in sin. In 1 John 1 a says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we understand what Jehovah Sidkenu is, we understand that we don't have to fear the aspect of coming before Jesus and saying that I am a sinner. Be merciful on me. That I need you. That no matter what I have done, I could come into a place of being honest with myself and being honest with others and saying, Jehovah God, you have forgiven me. And because of your forgiveness, I could come before you just as I am. That you don't need to prove yourself to Jesus. That you don't need to prove yourself to God. Oftentimes we come into a place of confession or even when we do something wrong where we're like, oh, this doesn't look good on me. This mark doesn't look good on me. And we, we, we shy away from the aspect of confession because we fear the judgment of man. We fear how people see us. We fear what the society has told us that if you're not perfect, if you don't live a certain way or, what, or, or if, you're, if you call yourself a Christian, that's a good one, right? That if you call yourself a Christian, you should be this way. But what Jehovah's Zikin you allows us to do is saying, no, I am a sinner. That I can be free from your judgment. I can be free to live out my life authentically and say that I have done you wrong. And when we understand that God's righteousness in our lives, we should not fear confession. That we should not fear saying that I am wrong. That I've done you wrong. Because we know that righteousness doesn't come from us. We know that righteousness doesn't come from each other. We know that righteousness comes from the one and only true God. That righteousness only comes through Jesus. That righteousness was something that was paid on the cross. Secondly, in knowing that we have sinned, we also know that we face no condemnation. In Romans 8, 1, it says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now there is consequence for our sins, yes. But there's no condemnation. So in essence, we could say that Jehovah's Sidkenu is not just the righteousness of God. 
but it's also the righteousness from God. That there's no condemnation on you, that there is no judgment on you. That God took that to the cross. That he doesn't condemn you, that your sin, yes, there's consequence. Don't forget that. Okay, don't think that I've done something wrong and therefore there's no consequence of it. No, there's consequences of sin. There's consequences of wrongdoing and sometimes we have to make things right. But in consequence, there's no condemnation. That's a huge difference. Right? So that, that it, it no longer rests on who you are. It rests in what Jesus has done on the cross. That there's grace and mercy. We just, during worship, we just talked about that surely what goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Right? That goodness is there, that mercy is there, that in the condemnation there's goodness and mercy. And yes, it's hard. Yes, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's hard to understand, but that's what Jesus gives us. He gives us this gift of knowing and, and being able to stand firm in who he is and our identity resting in him. That as we rest our identity in who Jesus is, that we could stand authentically in who we are as a church. That we could confess to each other, that we could stand with each other and say, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me and ask for that mercy. The whole idea of mercy, trust, forgiveness, that's a whole other sermon. And I would love to get into that with you guys. But one of the things that I, I, I feel is that as a church, we worry about the condemnation. That we, we, we stand in a place where we, we're scared to say certain things or do certain things because we feel that we're going to be condemned. But the reality is that Jesus said there is no condemnation, so therefore be authentically who you are. Speak the truth in places that you need to speak. And if that truth is that I am broken and I am a man, that is the first place that you need to begin. Because God's mercy comes when you're able to stand in that place. God's grace comes when you're able to stand in that place to say, I'm broken and I need you. You know that when you're broken, that God's glory shines through you? That when you're honest that God is able to work through you because God says like, like Paul said in my weakness I am what? Strong. So in those moments where you feel like God I need you guess who's going to show up? Jehovah Shammah right? God's presence is going to be there. His glory is going to come through you. God's gift to us is his righteousness. That like Brian, we don't need to prove ourselves or measure ourselves in self-righteousness. That we just receive the righteousness of God and that the righteous shall live by faith. In Romans 117, it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What a gift that we have, church. What a gift. That as we have studied each characteristic of God, it is so clear to us through each testimony that God gives himself to us. He intercepts our lives with his peace, his guiding, his healing, his presence, his provision, giving our lives, life's purpose and his righteousness. 
that God's love for you is so great, that his care for you is so personal, that his purpose for you is so perfect. God's goodness is there. And today as we, as we during worship, and, and as the Spirit is moving in, the, in, in our church today, God wants to take away your weariness. He wants to take away your burdens. In fact, like Alex said, it's God's burden to restore righteousness unto you. God wants to give you a gift today. For those that don't know what God's righteousness is, God wants to give that to you today. God wants to give you that righteousness because God wants to restore right relationship. That when man fell in the Garden of Eden through Adam and Eve, that God's heart and his goal was to restore that relationship from the, from the very beginning. And that to restore that relationship costed him everything. It costed him his son. It costed that love for you. It costed him absolutely everything. That God is constantly chasing after you. That he's not one that sits on a throne and waits for you to come. But God is giving you things every single day. He is intercepting your life every single day. But we need to learn how to, to, to cultivate that. How to hear from that. How to recognize what God is doing in our lives. But today, if you don't know God's righteousness, I want you to know God's righteousness. I want you to receive his righteousness today. God wants to give that gift to you. Amen? God wants to say that you are perfect, that I no longer see your sin, that I only see my son's death on the cross and his robe of righteousness that has now covered you. Right? We just read that passage that his robe of righteousness will cover you. That when Jesus died, he gave you a new, a new life, a new robe to wear. And God's like, I have that gift for every single one of you. That you are now right no matter what you do. Okay? At the same time, when you know God's heart, you want to do what's right. I don't want this to be like a bulletproof vest for you either, right? Because it's not. But I want you guys to understand what God's righteousness is. In church, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility when we receive God's righteousness is to live out that righteousness. Just the way that Jesus did. That it's not enough just to receive that gift, but that we also need to live the life that Jesus lived. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And the imitation of Christ is what we do as a church. But at the same time, as we imitate Christ, our job and our goal is to bring people into the knowledge of who God is, right? Last week, Tracy said a testimony, and there's this one line that stuck with me the whole week. She said that when she brought her daughter Brittany in to live with her, she was hesitant, but God spoke to her and said, how can they know me if they're not around someone who does? 
How can the world know who God is unless they know somebody who does? How does your neighbor get to know God if they're not around somebody that does? How could someone in your job, in your workplace, how could someone in your class, in your, in your school, how could someone in, in your family know God if they don't know someone that does? This is the purpose of the church. That as we receive this gift of righteousness, that we're able to give this gift of righteousness. We're able to give it because we're able to share who Jesus is in our lives. That we have a God that loves us, that a God that, that gives us a gift, and a God that, that wants to work through us and work in us and transform the way that we live. And that God has a plan for your life. And God has so much goodness that he wants to pour into your life. So much mercy that he wants to pour into your life. So much grace he wants to pour into your life. So much love that he wants to pour into your life. So much joy. But the only way that he's able to do this is if we as a church are living in that place, right? That we need to live out his righteousness. That we need to live out his joy, his peace, his mercy, his grace, his love. That God has moved in all of these things through love. Amen? As we close here, I want to invite those who don't know the righteousness of God to receive that gift today. I also want to invite those that know the righteousness of God and has already received the righteousness of God. But in some ways down the line and through the way that we live and through the, the chaos of life that's around us, we forgot the meaning of what that is. I want you to also come to this place of saying, God, I want this gift. I want this gift renewed in my life or I want this gift for, for the first time in my life. That this aspect of Jehovah's Sikhinu is the foundation of the church, is the foundation of why we do what we do, why we live the way that we live, why we are able to exist as a church. It's because of this. So can we pray together? Father God, we just... We come before you. And we ask for you to reveal your spirit to us. To reveal yourself to us. To come into a place where we're standing in our sin and standing in our, our, the chaos of our life. The unknowns, the, the, the voices that speak to us. And we just ask for your spirit to come through and, and, and speak directly to us. And just touch our hearts. And Father God, we ask for Jehovah Sikinu, the Lord, you are righteous, for your righteousness to come into our life. We ask that you restore your righteousness into our lives, restore our minds to a place of knowing that you are righteous and that we are righteous. Remind us that we are your church. And for those that want to receive righteousness or want to renew this righteousness into their lives, just 
Say this prayer with me quickly. Say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I am a sinner and I need your righteousness. So I ask for your spirit to come into my life. I ask for Jesus to come into my life to make you Lord and Savior of who I am. And I receive this gift of righteousness into my life. In Jesus' name I pray. So Father God, we ask that you wash your church, watch over your church. And Lord, may your church bring you glory in the way that we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just felt like there were just a couple points the Lord just led me to, to repeat or, or strengthen, I don't know. But first, I'd just like to say thank you to Brian and John for just such a, a great word. And the first point was, you cannot give what you don't have. And the Lord showed me that John can't give us Ferraris because he doesn't have one. He, he cannot, you know... He can't give us breakdancing lessons because he can't breakdance. And, and, and at the same point, the reason Jesus can give us his righteousness is because he lived that righteous life. And at the same time, the Lord showed me that he can't give us condemnation because in his life, he never condemned anyone. So when Jesus came back to earth, can you imagine being the Pharisees that convicted him? Can you imagine being those Roman soldiers, the people that told the falsehoods about him in the temple? I mean, he's alive and walking the earth, and you're sitting there going, okay, what's coming for me? And the answer was his love. His love was what was coming for him. There was nothing else. So it's just such a mind flip that, well, why do we think he's going to condemn us when we admit sin? He never showed that in any way. All he showed was that he's going to give his love, his mercy, and his grace. The other point the Lord just kind of brought up is that, you know, when you look at the prophets, the minor, the major, but you look at the big guys, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, I mean, they are massive books of prophecy in the Bible. And they all came at the worst time in Israel's history. You're talking exile. You're talking nations around them wanting to destroy them. You're talking about, you know, for Daniel, the assimilation of their culture. Like, everything is against them. And that's the time when the Lord is just speaking through his people. He's speaking through those that have the faith to call out to him. And there was this little, you know, piece in Brian's word where he said, you know, he was at an encounter night and he heard this word. And, you know, there was two parts to that, that word, but one of them was about finances. And it, you know, I don't know the time frame immediately, but almost immediately he loses his job. Now, would he say that he could have handled that situation with the same grace <laughs> without that word? Like, I, I haven't talked to Brian, but like the way he was describing it, it's like he clung to it. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to cling to the word of God. And we're supposed to cling to those prophecies because he has given those for our encouragement. And so 
you know, just kind of going back to what we were praying about earlier before the service, that burden, that heavy laden, seek him. Seek him and let him speak encouragement into your life. Let him do it through the community, through encounter, through cell group, through red carpet, through calling a friend. I mean, I love Tracy. Like, I had something bad happen. I called Deborah. Everyone can call Deborah. I'm sure I have no problem that she will volunteer for that so long as it's like between these hours. Um, but no, you know, call me, call John. Like the answer is we are here to support one another. And, but seek God, Se- seek him, hear his voice, especially when you're in those dark places. That's when we need our praises to come forth. So, Lord, we just thank you this morning. We just thank you for just another powerful testimony from our community of how you are moving, Lord, and how you never cease moving in our lives. And, Lord, we just thank you that you walked out that righteous life so that we can just cling to your righteousness, Lord, that you give it without caveat, without cost. You give it so generously, Lord. You give it till it overflows. And it's that righteousness that allows us to sit in your presence. It's your righteousness that allows us to go before the Father and to hear his voice directly, to hear his love directly, to hear his plans for us directly. And so, Lord, we just submit ourselves into your presence. And Lord, we just ask that you show us how to seek you with everything that we have. Have a blessed week. And uh, yeah, just enjoy the last of the summer. Amen.